What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, February the 22nd, 2021. This is episode 54 of the podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many, many ways for you to find the program, whether you are an audio-only listener, over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. So many different ways to find this show along with all the other shows created and put out in conjunction with In The Money Media. However you listen to them, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're over on YouTube, you watch along with this thing. All you need to do, search bar, Matt Bernie, your show, you get this episode along with the 53 prior. Uh, for this week's show, it could be a little bit shorter in duration, but to me, it was the most fun I've had in quite some time. Uh, you know, with the postponement of the Oakland races from this past weekend, you know, we're a little bit light on derby sort of things as far as new news is concerned or new opinions. You've heard my opinions on all of these horses that we've seen so far. And yes, the Saudi Cup, I'll dive into that here momentarily, but I thought it was a good opportunity to do something that I haven't done since this show was rebooted. And typically we hit do the Friday feature where a viewer or a listener is invited on to handicap a race, the contest race for the week. Uh, for what it's worth, this week it won't be the Friday feature, it'll be the Thursday feature. Uh, but I wanted to, there's somebody who I wanted to get on because, well, A, he's just uh, one of my buddies, and he's someone who has done a great deal for me. He's helped me professionally in, in a pretty massive way throughout my my career. So, and it's a little bit of a reunion of sorts. Those of you who remember back when I was working with the racing form, my partner in crime, Dan Illman. It's going to be the guest here for episode 54. We're going to dive into the Saudi Cup. We'll dive into uh, derby races and prospects, horses to keep an eye on going forward, what Ilman thinks of many of these runners, and you're going to get a fair bit of baseball as well. So if you're not a diehard baseball fan, maybe you can pick and choose through uh, the beauty of the podcast. You can just go 15 seconds at a time and clip through them. Or if you're on YouTube, you can just scrub, scrub through with a little piece there. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about baseball coming up as well. So uh, it was a great time chatting with Ilman. And I, I, I wonder, this he seems to be up for it. So this may end up being a feature going forward every every five, six weeks to have Ilman on and sort of dissect things and, and, and a little bit of a throwback to the Times I used to work for the uh, three-letter company down there in New York, but uh, good to have Illman along. Before we get to the segment with Dan Illman, my thoughts on the Saudi Cup. Uh, you know, a really interesting race, and I'm guilty, I'm as guilty as anyone of looking at it saying, our American horses are just too good. I thought it could be as simple as a two-speed exacta. The two horses who projected to go to the front, Nick's go and Charlatan, they're just too good. They're too fast for one another. Yes, perhaps they could duel one another into the ground, but from a class standpoint, I just thought they were that much better than all their contemporaries, and they would go all the way around the track. Who would win? I thought it would be Nick's go because he'd be able to get out to the lead, but that was my thought. Some sort of an exact of those two. And maybe I'm guilty of sleeping on Mishriff, the horse who ultimately won for John Gosden, but... I just, I, I couldn't help but go into the week, into the race, and think that it was unlikely that there would be an upsetter that was not an American-based runner. And I didn't love any of the other alternatives of the American-based horses. But when you have a horse like Mishriff, who I think the most fascinating thing for me watching the race was his ability, and you'll hear Ilman talk about this a little bit as well, his ability to stay within shouting distance of the front of two legitimately fast horses early on. I think the thing that was most surprising to me was that Charlatan was able to outfoot Nick's go to the front. And I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. 
I believe Nick's go is a need to lead type. I think he's game on dude 2.0. If you give him the lead or he is able to procure the lead, I think he's going to be a tough nut to crack. But for whatever reason, he couldn't make the front. Now, if you want to just chalk that up to the fact that perhaps Charlatan is A, more talented, or B, I guess, which I don't even know if you want to call it B, but maybe it's it, it's 1A and 1B, that he is naturally quicker early on than a horse like Nick's go, and he's able to get the lead. And when I say the lead, I'm not saying a horse who's going to open up by a length and a half on a horse like Nick's go. We have seen horses in the past, and I, I think Nick's go kind of fits this bill, you get a neck in front of them. They just don't want to pass that. They want to run with their friends. They don't necessarily want to go by someone. But if they're the one at the head of the engine, they're okay. They'll be the one to take you on a merry-go-round. So when that started, that was something I took note of saying, oh, geez, he can't, he can't get the lead. I don't like his chances. Now, for him to pack it in the way that he did, I suppose you can look at that and say it was a disappointing effort. I don't think he regressed. I just genuinely think Nick's go is a need the lead type. But once Charlatan puts him away, I'm thinking, okay, well, here it is. I mean, this horse was coming in, lightly raced. He has really done nothing wrong throughout his career. He's crossed the wire first in all four of his lifetime starts. He had that one disqualification because of the medication overage. Well documented. We all know that story. But I thought it was going to be over. And then here comes Mishriff. A horse who has been a turf horse throughout his career, but but he did start on dirt one other time, and he didn't run poorly in the Saudi Derby last year. He finished second in that spot, coming off of a bit of a layoff, his first start as a three-year-old. And for him to be able to go and run down Charlatan, who is a legitimately talented racehorse. Now, you'll hear Illman's opinion here momentarily. I tend to echo his thoughts that, look, are these the Arrowgates and the American Pharaohs of the world and, and the gun runners of the world? No, not by a long shot. But they are good horses. And for Mishriff to be able to go and beat our best horses, currently anyway, at something that may not be his game, I think that speaks volumes about his ability. I think he's a very, very talented runner. And I think you have to be considering, if you are the connections, assuming all goes well and he stays healthy, I think you have to be thinking long-term all of your big prizes in Europe, I would assume the Ark included, because he's a legitimately talented grass horse. But if you were so inclined, bring him over here to the States to wrap things up in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic on dirt, because he's shown that he can handle dirt. I, I can also acknowledge that I would hope someone is going to run faster and bigger. And, and what I mean by that is just purely from a number standpoint. Now, Timeform US awarded the race a rather gaudy number. I believe it was up around 129 or 130. Nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, that equates to roughly a 110 buyer. But we have seen faster races in recent memory. And perhaps I'm a little bit of a prisoner of, not prisoner of the moment, but, but sort of getting caught up in what we've seen recently. We've seen some big performances over the past four or five years. Some proper speed figures, some proper performances from legitimately top-level racehorses. And it's not to say that none of, that these three or four horses that we saw comprise your, your top three or four are not legitimately talented. But I would like to think that maybe there's a three-year-old that can pop up and, and perhaps sort of assert themselves as a horse to beat. Uh, Dan will talk about 
He'll mention a name who I'm sure many of you are thinking of, an older horse who maybe will be able to assert himself as a bigger and faster sort of alternative to some of these other runners. Maybe it's a horse like Monomoy Girl. Who knows? But I guess this is a long-winded way of saying, I thought this was a really nice performance. I don't think it's one where I'm going to sit here and say, these horses are absolutely going to be the horses that win a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, you know, eight months from now. But at the same time, I could certainly see Mishriff being a logical contender in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I could certainly see Charlatan being a logical contender in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And I'm not ready to write off Nick's go as a contender for the Breeders' Cup Classic. I think there are things that need to go in their favor to get to that point. And again, it's, it, I'm sure some people are just going to roll their eyes and say it's silly to talk about a race that is so far, so far in the future that knowing horses and horse racing in the modern days, a hell of a lot can happen between now and then. But I think this is a nice performance. You also have to acknowledge it's a one-turn mile and an eighth. Uh, Bruno DiGiulio sent me a, a tweet talking about how it's difficult to, it kind of apples to oranges. You can't compare long stretches at a mile and an eighth, one turn, to the mile and a quarter, two turns at Del Mar. I recognize that. I understand that. Uh, but I do think there's reason to look at it and say, you should not be surprised. Put it this way. You should not be surprised if these three horses are three of the choices that first weekend in November down at Del Mar, when we're talking about Breeders' Cup Classic. It would also not be a stunner if there if these three were viable contenders, but there were one or two horses who we looked at and said, they're actually the horses to beat. And these two or three, whether it's because of distance concerns, surface concerns, whatever, campaigns, maybe they're the third, fourth, fifth choices in a race like that. Uh, as far as Charlatan goes, the distance, I, you know, the way that he ran to put away Nick's go and then be able to hang on the way that he did, arguably on the worst part of the racetrack, many people sort of made their opinion known that they thought inside was not where you wanted to be. You know, I, I don't know that I want to hold this race against him. This is probably as, as much a stamina test as he's going to encounter. A one-turn mile and an eighth. For him to be finishing the way that he did, I mean, he was well clear of third. You know, a mile and a quarter going two turns, I'd like to think that it's actually going to be, I don't know, it's not an apples to apples or a perfect kind of comparison. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he can get a distance like that. Uh, and with Nick's go again, I, I made it clear, no sense in, in continuing down that path. But I think he's a horse that just absolutely needs the lead. And if you give it to him, I think he's really, really difficult to get by. If he doesn't get it, uh, we, we know what, what the story is here. So that's my thought about the top three finishers in the Saudi Cup and perhaps what we see from them going forward. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Without further ado, let's get into this week's let's get into this week's pod with everything. Dan Elman from the Daily Racing Forum is my guest. We talk about baseball, we talk about the Saudi Cup, we talk about derby prospects and derby preps, and we talk about the card from Laurel Park on Thursday, including the Thursday feature, Laurel's ninth race. Let's throw it to the segment with Dan Elman. So not the standard sort of Friday feature that we usually do. We're going to do a Thursday feature, but we're going to get to that at the end. And I feel a little bit weird starting off with me being the one to open things up because back in the day, when we used to work together, 
DRF Stan Illman would be the one that would intro things. And as far as I'm concerned, anything that's happened with me as far as video goes and all that jazz, Illman has had a great hand in, in whatever this has become. For better or for worse, Dan, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but for better or for worse, I feel like you have a great hand in all of this. Thank you for coming on. You were, you were doing so well. And then you said for better or for worse, just to put that <laughs> sliver of doubt in people's minds as, as if they didn't have doubt already. But uh, I appreciate you having me on and reunited. It feels so good. Yeah, long overdue. It was one of those things. I was just trying to think of a good time to... Typically, I don't have anybody on the show other than folks that listen and, and sort of play along with the contest that we do. But I felt like this was kind of a good time, unfortunately, because of the Oakland situation with them having to delay things the way that they did. There wasn't any giant, giant races, with the exception of the Saudi Cup, over this past weekend. And I figured this would be a good time to get somebody in here who we can kind of just bounce some ideas off of and get an overall feel and uh, sort of what the landscape looks like with a number of things. But before we get into the racing, for those of you who don't know, uh, Illman is a big Yankee baseball fan. Uh, I am I am a uh, Red Sox fan, and, and recently, not great, if we're being honest. Um, but I, I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, the Paxton trade didn't really work out, not the way that I think it was intended to. Um, but I think you might have a bit of a steal with this tie-on kid. I think uh, I, I think the Yankees uh, have a little bit of a steal. These are the Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton, the over/under of him playing 15 games. Aaron Judge, the over/under of him playing 35 games. Gary Sanchez, the over/under of his batting average 206. So right away, the Yankees are in trouble. I mean, is Luke Voigt really the answer at first base? I don't know. Does he turn back into a pumpkin tomorrow? Maybe uh, is Gio Urshela going to turn back into a pumpkin tomorrow? Is Clint Frazier really a starting left field material? I mean, all of a sudden, we've now peeled back this onion. Can Domingo Herman stay yeah. sane? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, we're looking at the Yankees, and I'm saying I have as much. I have a little bit more faith in the Yankees than I do the Red Sox right now. The Red Sox are, are not doing very well. But, you know, you got to rebuild. You were able to lord it over me when we were in the DRF offices. You were able to say, we've become the Yankees. We, we, like you put on like a red part of the team. <laughs> we. And, and now I think it's starting to turn back. The world is slowly shifting back onto its true axis where the Yankees are dominant. Well, I think the other piece, too, is while and you and I talked about it all those years ago when we were, when I was still down in New York, the idea that the way the game was trending, it wasn't necessarily the most entertaining piece. But when you talk about a team like the Yankees and the way you just laid it out, I mean, they are the epitome of modern baseball, are they not? It's a home run, a strikeout, not great contact, and you hope that your pitchers basically strike out 200 guys a year just so you can get through things. I don't even know about 200 guys a year because the game is now so where a boy. We'd love to get Masahiro Tanaka get through five last year before he went back to Japan. I've never heard of such a thing. Like Aaron, but the Yankees are so analytics. And I believe the sabermetrics have a wonderful place in baseball, probably more of a place in baseball, even than conventional scouting. But if Masahiro Tanaka pitched five innings and he struck out 13 of the 15 batters and was throwing a perfect game, he's out in the sixth. Yeah. And you're bringing your new guy, the big Owen, to pitch the sixth. Why? Because the numbers say that Masahiro Tanaka, third time through the lineup, his batting average is 100 points better. Well, which means in this game, they would be hitting 100 against him, but they would take him out anyway. Aaron Boone loves the analytics. I don't even know if they manage them anymore. I think the general manager has a bunch of, of little 
nerd disabled metric guys up in the general manager's box and they're like this and they're typing the numbers yeah. and, they, and they call Boone up on the on the sabermetric phone and they say get him out well I mean I go back to the World Series last year with Blake Snell I mean uh, what what are we doing sometimes you just have to trust your players yeah sometimes you have to let your players win it it, it, it you know starting pitching it's always a situation where and you were a pitcher back in, back, in, back the day. in the day. You thought about it for four days, your opponent. You got yourself hyped up. You threw a bullpen. You talked to your catcher about how you were going to attack these guys. You had four sleepless nights. You thought about it. You couldn't wait. Then you got on the mound. You threw seven. You're leading two to one. You've pitched for three and a half hours. You're sweating. You're, you're grinding. You're doing everything you can. This is your game until it's not your game anymore. And they bring in five or six relievers who combined to give up eight runs and you were a loser. Well, and that was part, isn't that part of what it used to be where that for the first time through the order, the idea is going to be a lot, a pretty steady diet of fastballs. Occasionally, you know, if you get deep into account, maybe you mix in a little something else. Second time through, you show a little bit more. And that third time through, when you really got to gut it out, that's when you just let it all hang out and you throw everything you got at them and, and you hope that it works. But now you don't even get the opportunity the third time through. And the amazing thing is you have more pitchers now. I know. <laughs> you've got a slider. You've got a two seam. You've got a four seam. You've got a change up. You've got a curveball, You've got a split. You've got everything under the sun. You can mix them up through first time, second time, eighth time through the order if you go 19 innings. And yet they're not allowed to pitch. You and I have probably, and listen, I'm a grumpy old man when it comes to sports. You're getting there. I'm telling you, listen, <laughs> it's, it's almost over. You're getting there. But for the fact that you and I see eye to eye on this, the yeah. generation gap is narrowing. No, it's true. And I mean, that's part of the issue, though, is that you have people in sort of my ilk, the, the early 30, late 20, where, yeah, I get it. The analytics, they, they do tend to work. But my God, it makes for a boring product. It makes for a boring product. And again, I think you need to, and I think in, in some way you lose your superstars. Totally. You know, I mean, I, I, I think there's something sort of gallant about a Garrett Cole going out there and saying, I'm going to pitch the ninth. Yeah. And if I lose, I go out on my shield. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, if a guy pitches seven innings and in the seventh inning, he gets them one, two, three, and he's leading three to one. There's no reason why he can't go out in the eighth. And if a guy hits a home run off me, take him out. Pull him out. <laughs> yeah, there are options here. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Job, but it seems like it is all or nothing in baseball because everyone is afraid to be criticized. This is the social media generation. Yeah. Everyone is afraid to be criticized. The managers are afraid to be criticized. Handicappers are afraid to be criticized. Everybody's afraid to be criticized. But you're going to be wrong no matter what you do. Yeah. You're going to be criticized. You're not going to be universally worshipped like I used to be back in the pre-social media days when I had the preeminent blog <laughs> on the Internet. And was not only liked, loved, adored, but worshipped. And that's all gone. The proper first contest I ever won was Dan Illman's form blog. Put something together. Handy gambling. Exactly. Part of the form blog. Uh, before we go on to, to racing, 95 and a half wins is the over-under for Yankee baseball. Over or under? Oh, they don't win 95. Really? No, they don't win. Even in that? I, oh, I shouldn't say even in the division because Toronto has made some moves, but... Uh, Tampa Bay is very, very good. Um, Baltimore's improving, and I never thought I would say those words. Baltimore is improving. Um, Boston, I think, will do better than they did last year. I think they made some really interesting moves. I, I don't know if it's pennant-changing moves, pennant-winning moves, no. interesting moves. Toronto made some really 
kind of all or nothing moves. And I wouldn't be surprised at the combination of the players they've had and the good young players they have, if they stay healthy, they make a big. If I'm a Yankee fan, I'm happy with 90, 91. I don't, I don't think they get 95 and that. Too much, too much problems here. Too much, too much, as you say, all or nothing. Too many injury prone players, too many question marks. It's all going to come down to the pitching. Pitching looks good. One guy gets hurt, all of a sudden the pitching not so good. Falls apart. Yeah. And, and to your point, look, that, that Ottavino move, I don't I don't hate it. I get it that they kind of did the, the Yankees a favor. But I, I for one year, if it is only one year, that's all he's got left on his deal. The Sox need anybody that can throw. They need a warm body in the bullpen. So, I, you know, I'll take him even if he's got, you know, even if he's not what he was two years ago with the 1-9 ERA or whatever it was. He's a guy that when his slider is working, he's deadly. Yeah. He's deadly. And when his slider's not working, he's going to put some dents in that wall, that monster. He's going to wake up. What's the monster's name, the little monster out there? Boy. Yeah, he's, he's going to wake him up a few times with some dents if that slider's not working. But when his slider is working, he's very, very nasty. His numbers were still good. He lost the faith of Boone. Boone's a Joe Girardi guy. Joe Girardi has faith in guys. Which is why we saw Brandon Workman coming for the bullpen oh, yeah. for the last nine, <laughs> the last nine games. Even though he blew six saves in a row, we saw Brandon Brandon Workman. And Heath Hembry. guys that you were very oh, familiar, very familiar with, with boy. those boys. Boy, you got to steal. Get yeah, tell me about uh, it. So uh, they have their guys, and again, it's overmanaging. It's lack of quality play. I'm just an old curmudgeon. Go Yankee baseball. Something tells me the Mets might be taking over New York any day soon. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens in Queens. They made some nice moves, and obviously Lindor is the headliner. For those of you who don't like baseball, I apologize for the past few minutes. Let's get into racing. Um, You know, I guess the big one over the past weekend was the Saudi Cup. And just overall, I already gave my opinion at the top of the show. Just your overall thoughts specifically on the winner, Mishriff, the runner-up, Charlatan, and Nick Sko, who ultimately wound up off the board. Let's start off at the top. With Mishriff, you know, is this a horse? I saw uh, many people alluding to the fact that, well, he's not really a dirt horse. Well, isn't it a little bit premature to say that because you only run on dirt one other time? As good as he is on turf, who's to say he's not a horse who can kind of handle anything? What's the what's your kind of gauge on him going forward? I think he's a good horse. I think he's just a good horse on any surface. I think his race in the Saudi Derby last year was good. Uh, he obviously improved when they switched him back to turf when he won the French Derby. But he's a quality horse, and we saw that simply because he showed the tactical speed that most turf horses don't show, especially when they run on dirt. He stayed close to that legitimate pace that the two favorites were on, and he ran down Charlatan. He is a good horse. Uh, Do I think he is the bee's knees? Do I think he is the greatest horse of all time? If he comes over for the Breeders' Cup Classic, am I going to be willing to just, you know, bow down? No. I think that he's a good horse. And I think that this race showed that our North American-based older dirt males are not very good right now. And that's no disrespect to Charlton, who ran a fine race, obviously. He was on the pace. He put away Nick's go. And he took a punch in the mouth probably for the first time in his career against Mishriff, and he ran well. But we look at the two favorites in this race. Charlton, the best horse he's ever beat is who? Express, not Express. Yeah, Express Train, yeah. Express train probably is probably the so. best horse he's ever beaten. Yeah. You can't say Nashville. And the best horse that Nico has ever beaten is probably a tie right now between Jesus' team and Code of Honor. A code of Honor, yeah. complexity, one of the two. Well, a code of Honor is probably Match Tacitus now yeah. in terms of being an underachiever. 
So these are two are nice horses. Uh, he ran very, very well, Charlton. If we're just going to have fun barroom talk, like you and yeah. I, after a Saturday afternoon of racing, we go down to the perfect pint. We'd have some malted milks and a couple of hamburgers and have a nice time talking about racing. We'd say, eh, let's reject a buyer. Charlton probably ran a 106. Yeah. Good number. Greatest thing in the world? No. Um, Nick's go, I think, probably just came back too quick from the Pegasus. Wheeling back in four weeks off that race, shipping halfway across the world. He just didn't seem comfortable. He's supposed to be faster out of the gate than Charlton. I don't think they rated him. I think Charlton was just faster. Well, so and that was kind of the thing. When I was watching it live, and I couldn't help but notice I was uh, listening to the world feed, and I don't know if it was Michelle Yu who had mentioned it prior to the race, that all throughout the week, Nick's go had been really on his toes feeling himself. And in this race, and sort of the pre-race festivities, he was very, very calm and relaxed, which... I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say that was why he wasn't as fast out of the gate as we're accustomed to seeing him. But to your point, I, I, there's a part of me that does wonder, and, and I maybe I'm wrong in being a little bit overzealous saying I feel like he's game on dude 2.0, where if he doesn't get out there and wing it on the front by himself, he can't win. He can't pass anyone. I, I do wonder if a horse like Charlatan just maybe has more natural early foot and is more agile maybe than, than a horse like Nick's go. And if he gets headed, I, I mean, look, to this point, he's never passed a parked car. So I, I don't know that if he doesn't have it all work out his way, and I'm not suggesting it won't happen again down the road, maybe at a mile and a quarter, who knows. But I just, he becomes a very difficult proposition for you to sit there and say, yes, I'm going to take two to one or eight to five on a horse that, A, I don't know if he's naturally as fast early on as Charlatan or whomever else they may throw at him. And B, if that's the case and he can't pass anyone, what good is he? Well, I think we're going to find out where Nick's ghost stands in Brad Cox's mind by the placement. I would assume it would be the Met Mile. I think you're supposed to turn him back now, run him at his best distance, which is a mile. I know he won the Peggy at a mile and an eighth. Probably pushing it for him a little bit. Can't see him going a mile and a quarter in the Breeders' Cup Classic, especially if some of the three-year-olds improve as they did last year, especially if a horse like Maxfield, who's probably the biggest winner, by the way, the biggest sure. beneficiary of the Saudi Cup is Maxfield, because he sat at home, he didn't knock himself out, and he watched the two horses that arguably were rated above him in the division kind of flop a little bit. Charlton ran very, very well. Uh, Charlton is a horse, obviously, he still has upside. It was his first race off of knee surgery. We'll see how far he wants to go down the road. Baffert, we didn't think Authentic could go a mile and a quarter going into the Derby last year. He did it. Charlatan, I think there are still questions. He's the promising horse to take out of the race. I think Nick's goal will turn back. I think he'll be okay. But remember, he's Nick's goal. Yeah. There have been several iterations of Nick's goal. There was the long shot, lucky two-year-old Nick's goal. There was the, boy, he's not very good Oof. Nick's goal. Yeah. And then there was the awesome Nick's go, and this was somewhat in the middle Nick's go. It, it, to your bigger point, though, I, I agree. I feel like it just is, I don't want to call it an indictment, but in a way, an indictment on what we have right now for older horses here in the States. It doesn't mean somebody can't show up and sort of take control of the division, but as constituted right now, I think it's a pretty, let's just call it wide open division. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily brilliant or terrible, but I think there's a lot of parody. I don't think there's any any one horse who's head and shoulders above everyone else. And I think it's a good way to sort of begin to transition anyway into the three-year-old talk. You know, Oaklawn's situation recently has been just very, very unfortunate, just brutal weather for everybody down in the South, things that they're not accustomed to dealing with. Um, and it's thrown the game plan of some of these other highly regarded three-year-olds off a little bit, whether it's Essential Quality, whether it's Jackie's Warrior, anybody else who was supposed to run down in Hot Springs. Let's start there with with that sort of, 
audible needing to be called, not that you wanted to call it. I mean, how much concern would you have if you were involved or you were a big fan of one of these horses? Because we're not talking about middling prospects. These are supposed to be the top of the top as far as the three-year-olds go. I think you're supposed to look at it one of two ways. I think you're supposed to be concerned for the short term, which is the Southwest obviously coming up on Saturday. These horses have lost preparation time. It's very, very important. You never want to go to plan B, especially if you have a derby prospect. These horses' schedules have probably been mapped out day to day, week to week, probably since January 1st. And these changes, anything can happen. I think you still have time for the derby, though. As long as essential quality doesn't run fifth, beating 15 in the Southwest. If he runs a good second, you know social media will say he's a bum. He should never have been number one. Fine. And you just tone that out and you say, well, let's see what happens in the Arkansas Derby if he decides to go there. Um, Jackie's Warrior, for me, the bigger issue is not the missed time. It's the distance. Yeah. Does he really want to go two turns? Does he eventually want to go a mile and a quarter? A brilliant two-year-old. Is he going to be one of those two-year-olds who remember and say, boy, he was fast? Yep. Boy, he was fast, but you know something? They caught up to him. They caught up to him. They matured. They, they, he just didn't get any better, and the rest of them did. Baffert is sitting back and loving this because in Santa Anita, he missed a little time with the rain, but he's got life is good. And the fact that the Southwest now is going to be run right on top of the Rebel. They're not moving the Rebel back. Baffert has his armada. He loves to come to Oakland. You know he's bringing with two or three. So he's got a big advantage with life is good. Uh, I still think essential quality is very, very good. And we'll see about the others. The Southwest, keep in mind, keep me in mind is a horse that's going to take some money. Boy, that last race he won was yeah. dreadful. Yes. Just dreadful. Nothing's come out of it. He's a nice horse. Obviously, he ran well in the Breeders' Cup. Maybe he ran so well in the Breeders' Cup, you get a little nervous for a, essential quality um, because he then wins his maiden in that bad race. We'll learn a lot more about him coming up. But something tells me that there are a couple of horses that are going to pop up in the next few weeks that maybe we've kind of fallen under the radar and are not given as much attention to as we should. Let's just kind of go rapid fire with a few names. And then if I miss someone that you're really intrigued by, feel free to throw them out there. I mean, you've mentioned Life is Good. Baffert also has Medina Spirit involved in there. Who knows about Consort Tour, whatever he ends up looking like. Uh, I believe Freedom Fighter is a horse that's going out to New York. Um, of those, I mean, do you see, obviously, Life is Good looks the part, I think, anyway. Reminds me a lot of Authentic for many reasons. Um, I believe going back to that sham, I think they could have gone around again and Medina Spirit was never going to go by. I think Life is good we just got a little bit goofy out there um i mean did they feel like they are sort of of that upper echelon or do you only want to pick one or two out of there life is good definitely medina spirit i'm not sure of uh i know he's run some fast races i know he came close to life is good i'm not sure i really love any of his races mm -hmm. uh freedom fighter let's see what he does in new york um i think the other one that you mentioned that's Desert the tour, one yeah. I, I think that's the horse that is going to stretch out. I think that Baffert's got big plans for him. He seems like he has tactical speed. He seems like he has a world of upside. That's kind of the sneaky horse from the Baffert barn that I would be watching right now. Behind life is good. Down in South Florida, uh, we'll hopefully see him this weekend. Greatest honor for Suge. Many people are drawing the obvious sort of parallels to Orb from a number of years ago. Uh, let's hope he continues on and, and progresses the way that Orb, unfortunately, just sort of plateaued, never got any better. Uh, is there reason to believe that this could be another version of Orb? Or, I mean, you know, I, the thing that I had a real difficult time with, and I'm curious your thoughts, going back to that most recent run in the Holy Bull, did he look good beating a bunch of bad horses? Or, yes. Okay, that's it. I mean, that, going, that was give, me, give me Or, because Or could be yes, too. That's what's right. great about horse racing. What's Or? 
No, well, the, the or was maybe that was actually a decent group, and he's just actually that much better than everybody else. Again, the likelihood of that seems kind of slim, but you never know. I was leaning more toward your side of things, saying that, you know what, I don't think he beat a very good group. He just looked good doing it. Well, I mean, remember the horse that was favored in that race. That was a Fletcher train maiden yeah. winner that was stretching all the way out with the hype. Yep. Um, I think he's good. I think he's only going to get better. If you, if you look into his pedigree, if you look at Shug McGahey, this is his M.O. Horses uh, that he trains get better with age, get better with distance. This horse has to start running fast races. You ran an 89 buyer in the Holy Bowl. Okay. I'd like to see in the Fountain of Youth, where he's going to face, what, five other horses, four or five other horses yeah. that come out of the Holy Bowl and the turf horse, fire at will, who could be any kind. I'd need to see him start running fast. But there's plenty of time, and he's got upside potential. Um, I wonder if he doesn't start running fast, if we get suckered into the hole, oh, it's Doug, and he's got the pedigree for a mile and a quarter. But right now he has potential. The other ones I think we know are very good. This one is good with potential. We've, we've seen in the past that the New Orleans path can be a little bit of fool's gold, where as nice as things look, sometimes it doesn't pan out. Other times it does pan out with the horse like Gunrunner, and that's not saying that Gunrunner at that time is a three-year-old. We knew what he would turn into. Uh, overall thoughts, because we've had the exact same trifecta make up the two big races down there in the LeCompte and the Risen Star. Let's start with the most recent winner, Mandaloon. Overall thoughts and feelings on him, and then take it a step further with Midnight Bourbon as well as uh, Proxy. Uh, I think the concern about those races is that there hasn't been any closing going on. Yeah. Those three horses have basically run one, two, three, or one, two, four around the track in both of the preps. Uh, I think Mandaloon has upside. I like the way, obviously, he ran a fast race with the first-time blinkers. Uh, he has a nice amount of tactical speed and a really good Judmont pedigree. He's supposed to be a good horse. Uh, I wonder if he's being a little bit overhyped right now simply because there just hasn't been a lot of running behind the big three down there. Mm -hmm. I think Midnight Bourbon is a very interesting horse. He's a big, good-looking sword. He's run well at Churchill Downs. But you can't deny the fact that when he won the Lecompte, it was a race where the other speeds were scratched, and he was able to just walk on the lead. And he didn't walk on the lead in the Risen Star, and he still ran pretty well. I don't know if it blew my mind. And I think Proxy right now has a couple of lengths to find. And other than that down in the fairgrounds, we're going to have to see an allowance horse or another horse come up and and do something. I have a feeling we'll see some shippers coming into the fairgrounds, and Hot Rod Charlie might be an interesting one coming in from Southern California. That'll be the test. If Hot Rod Charlie runs by these three, then we know they're no good. One other circuit specifically, but one horse specifically, I want your take on. And again, you can say the same thing I just echoed about the Louisiana trip into Louisville. Recent memory, New York path hasn't been all that strong. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the time of year and things like that. But I've been very impressed with Chad's horse risk-taking. Now, I don't know if it's a combination of him beating less-than-stellar horses or he's the kind of horse that you look at him, he's going to run 15 miles. Now, the question is, is he going to do it fast enough to beat whomever else he's going to go up against at a mile and a quarter? He got a little goofy at the end of the most recent start, but I like that he really quickly sort of rewrited things and got it back on the right track, just past the wire onto his right lead. I mean, am I am I being a little bit am I being suckered into a horse like this, thinking that you know what to this point for him to run and finish the way that he has at Aqueduct this time of year, I think it's a little bit of a, a, a positive, but acknowledging that maybe he's running against subpar company. What are your overall thoughts on New York, but him specifically? Well, in New York, you're right. I mean, it's it's subpar right now, not only because of the weather, and you know, trainers want sunnier climbs because they want to go they want to go to Oakland because there are no weather issues there, right? And well, <laughs> we've seen what's happened, but also, I mean, it's kind of a weird schedule in New York. 
where yeah. they run the Jerome at nine, and now they're going to run the Gotham at eight, and they're going to run the Wood Memorial back at nine. It's just sort of odd to keep horses doing it. It's almost encouraging them to skip a prep. Uh, I think the horses pretend. I don't think you can be suckered into a horse that right now is probably 25, 30 to one. Uh, you know, in a future book, I think he has a lot of promise in the similar way of great uh, of of Shug's horse, a Shug's horse a little more professional. This horse is still learning. I think he's beaten nothing. I mean, Capo Kane went into that last race as the favorite. I think Capo Kane went into that last race with a lot of distance concerns, and I think he he showed that that distance was a little bit far for him. But I like the way he finished off the race. He has obviously a lot of promise, and we'll learn more in the wood. I'm assuming that's where he's going to go. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Tampa Bay Derby this year is a race which confounds me because I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure who's who's prepping for that race. That could be somewhat interesting. But I think the strength right now, you know, Baffert's got the strength of California. Essential quality is a very, very good horse. And will Mandaloon might be sort of the key. Uh, he, he's got to continue on this path. Did he peak too soon with that 98 fire? Is there anyone who we haven't touched on that you're mildly intrigued with? Or is it still a matter of, yes, while we're at the 50-point races, there's still a long way to go? I guess Cattle River is a horse that I think a lot of people are talking about. And I'm really not sure what to think. He kind of got an easy lead in that last race when he won. He seems to be brilliant. He seems to be a horse that has a lot of ability. And he's certainly in the right hands. But he's a horse that, you know, we haven't talked about. And we probably should have talked about him a little bit. And... We'll learn more, obviously, in the Rebel. I think that's where he's going to show up next. We'll see what he does going a mile and a 16th against a Baffert horse. He's another one that I want to see if he doesn't get the lead. What happens? Is he willing to go on with it? Very fair point with him. Very fair. Before we let you go, again, typically we do a Friday feature, but because you are the, not only are you the head of DRF TV, which yeah. again, anybody who is unfamiliar with it, head on over to drf.com. You can find all the videos. Him. No, no, don't do that. Don't you? you you'll never find. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. They don't know where to put the videos on drf.com. Go to the Daily Racing Forum YouTube. Page. Okay, you'll be sure to find all the videos. You'll find Illman, Beer, Brad Free, among others over there. Um, but you're also the analyst for the Maryland circuit including Laurel, obviously this time of year. And you've already filed your Thursday analysis, I believe, and let's go twofold let's start off with is there a horse or a bet that you're hopeful from a price standpoint that you're looking forward to on thursday's card you know if you love a two to one shot great if you love a ten to one shot great is there anything you're looking forward to i'm going to give you a threefold matt because i know you have time and i know you're looking at the clock and i'm going to make you sweat (laughs) the first horse in race number seven is a horse that i'm looking forward to watching run he's prop she is probably going to be too short that's wonderwall Wonderwall was off the Claudio Gonzalez claim, and she won going a mile and a 16th by about 13 lengths. And I called up Claudio Gonzalez while he was down there with Harper's first ride for the Pegasus World Cup. And I asked him, what are you going to do with this Wonderwall? She looks really promising. And he was like, ah, we're going to give her time. She just ran the other day. She ran big. And I was stunned that Wonderwall was then a late supplemental entry into the stakes race up there in New York. And I was like, boy, I think they realized short field will wheel her back quick. She was bad. So they've given her time now. They're running her back in her condition. And I think if she runs the race two starts back, she's worse. I'm not sure I would want to bet, but she's supposed to be the most likely winner. The worst that I might want to bet is race number two. That's Holy Saint. Holy Saint finished fifth last time out. That doesn't sound so good. Until you go into your formulator PPs, shameless plug, <laughs> and you see that all four of the horses that finished ahead of Holy Saint came back to win. Their very next starts. 
Holy Saint's going to try to stretch out. He is no star, but he's by Go Sapper. He's from the family of Devil is Me. He's supposed to stretch out. He's going to get close to the pace. I'm interested to see what we get from Holy Saint. But the best betting race on the card, no doubt race number nine. Okay. Race number nine is a wide open event. You could make a case for five or six horses. That should be the contest race if you're going to do a If I was doing handy gambling, this would be the race. Mice and men is where I'm going to go. Uh, third start off the layoff. Buyers going the right way. A little traffic last time out. Hung in behind. Uh, four rivals turning in for home. Uh, I think this horse is going to be okay. That usually doesn't work well when you're hung in behind four rivals with nowhere to go. Not, not really. He had a little bit of run at the end of the race. Um, these are horses that are in and outers. And I have to admit, you know, Mice and Men is not a star, but is facing a field that's not full of stars. I mean, Baptize the Boy is a horse that's going to take a lot of money in this race. Baptize the Boy, I wonder, is getting a little sour, as I mentioned in the analysis. In his last two starts, he has thrown fits behind the starting gate. Okay. And they've loaded him into the starting gate, and he ran like he was a horse that threw a fit behind the starting gate. He didn't run very well. So he's a horse you might want to be a little worried about, even though he's taking a little bit of class relief. So you heard the man. The most competitive race, or, or a very competitive race, is the ninth on Thursday at Laurel. We're going to do the Thursday feature, not the Friday feature this week. If you want to be involved in the show next week, you got to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube for the ninth at Laurel on Thursday. Ilman, I appreciate the time. Uh, is there anything else? I, oh, I guess before I let you go, um, 80 and a half wins for the Boston Red Sox. Basically, are they going to be 500 or under 500? Oh, they can't be 500. This you don't think so? They'll, 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 they'll make it interesting for you guys. They'll make it very interesting for you guys, and they'll tap out at 79 wins. Because I, there's a part of me that wants to believe, not that they're a playoff team or anything like that, but, I mean, if you just if you just look at it and say, the offense really wasn't that bad last year. And last year is probably a bad example of anything because there were 60 games and whatever. But it, it was just they didn't have anybody that could throw the ball. And now you you would hope Eddie Rodriguez is back. You hope he's okay with, you know, the heart condition and all that jazz. Sale, I'm not expecting him to really be back. And even if he is, it won't be until late July, early August sort of thing. I can't imagine they'd rush him back. There's no reason to. Evaldi... I mean, look, we've talked about Nathan Evaldi, it feels like, for 100 years when he was with the Yankees, when you got when you got him from Florida, and then, you know, obviously ended up in Boston. I, I still would love to see them just say, cut it loose for the ninth inning. All you can do, just air it out. Throw 102. The elbow's going to blow up again. Your bullpen wasn't that great either last year. It was, it was horrible. It was a hard show. You got this guy that can throw 100. Put him out there in the ninth inning and let him blow people away. Put the fear of you-know-who into your opponents when you've got the lead in the ninth. You know as well as anyone, with Nathan Avaldi as good as he is, it's not a matter of if he's going to get hurt, it's a matter of when he's going to get hurt. Right. And uh, to me, rather than try to somehow massage, you know, eight months out of him, when in reality it's not going to work, or six months out of him, just let him air it out for an inning at a time. And, and let's be honest, too. How often are they going to really have save opportunities this year? Not a ton. That's, that, that's the second good point is that, okay, he may only pitch twice a week. Yeah. So you'll yeah. be able to save him. And then you may be able, you can have him maybe go multiple innings because he is kind of a long guy. Maybe he can get five outs for you. But it's not like the mindset anymore is you have to be a starter or you have to be a closer because Nathan Avaldi, if he starts, they're not going to have him go more than five innings. Maybe no. four. So 
you, the idea of we're paying him all this money, he's got to start. Well, it's not like he's giving you 200 innings. None of these guys are giving you 230 innings anymore. The last guy that did it was Felix Hernandez. His arm is like a piece of spaghetti right fell now. Fell off. Fell off. Quite literally fell off. But let me tell you something. He's a guy that you got to have the utmost respect for. He oh. played on lousy teams. Yeah. He threw 200 yeah. innings. He got people out. I think Baltimore signed him or someone like that signed him. So maybe we'll get a shot. Now, the, the other thing that, that drives me wild, and I know I got to let you go because you have to go record with with beer and get your videos done. The the <laughs> the the thing that, that also is like mind boggling to me is that there's a there's a real scenario. Maybe me this is a little bit, you know, exaggerating. They, they might have 80 unique lineups this year because outside of one through four or one through five, they have four platoon guys basically every day. So you're just going to keep mixing and matching, and that's assuming that none of the kind of core four or five don't get hurt. And and, and we know, look, I know, look, you and you and JD Martinez, the two most famous folks to graduate from Nova Southeastern, correct? Not the other way around, correct? I, but you know, he's probably going to miss some time with a back at some point. He usually does, a couple weeks, not the end of the world, but okay. And he's a pure DH at this point. Nothing wrong with that. But you also assume Rafael Devers, who I get it, he's a young kid, but it's also not as though when you see him, you don't think he's an Adonis out there. Uh, he's probably going to miss a little bit of time. At some point, he'll be a first baseman. I can't imagine they keep him at third forever. Bogarts is pretty much your your bastion of health. You hope you're going to get 150, 155 games out of him. Yeah, he's going to go. He's going to end up pulling a hamstring and be out for half the season. Basically, yeah. And and look and 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 Petey, your favorite is is no longer here anymore. I was going to say you have eighty different lineups until they force Petey out of retirement, <laughs> and you got one hundred and two different types. Who's the kid that plays? There's a kid you've got. He's a good hitter, second baseman, young guy. I don't even know if he plays second. He plays all over the infield. Throw me your lineup around there. I'll tell you who who the guy to watch this year is for you. Uh, well, I mean, you figure. So the the interesting one is Michael Chavis. Where, that's the guy. Now, that's the, the, the guy. problem is it feels like he's sort of being pushed out. Because <laughs> you they, guys love doing that, don't you? I, I don't – well, because they love this Dahlbach kid who is a third baseman, first baseman. He's another one of these guys that hits – you know, he could hit 30 home runs, but he's going to strike out 200 times, and he's going to hit about 210. Great. Uh, not my cup of tea, but it is what it is. But that's the problem with Chavis is that he was a third baseman. He also had a steroid issue when he was in, in the minors, and he, I think they spent him for a year. So there's always that sort of lingering piece is, you know, is what you're seeing actually legitimate or is there something else going on? But, uh, you know, between Chavis, between Dahlbeck, um, you know, Verdugo I think is the one everybody hopes. That he, he oh, no, oh, no, Verdugo is a very, very good player. And uh, I think if Chavis can hit – uh, and Verdugo does what he's supposed to do, and Bogart stays healthy, and these are all ifs, but Devers is very good. You have a pretty good lineup. You have a pretty good lineup. But you basically gave me enough confidence by saying when you discussed your starting rotation, the first name that came out of your mouth was Eduardo Rodriguez. <laughs> the good pitcher. Nice lefty. Yeah. A good pitcher. A good number three. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a good number three, and he was your number one name. Yeah, that you put out there. Yeah. Why didn't you just sign Porcello? Did anyone sign him yet? They t they talked Get him about, back. They talked about that on radio up here the other day. That hey, look, he's still out there. We 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 yeah. just need, again we need a Get body. We need a body. 
That's it. Yeah. You just need somebody that can eat some innings. And when I say eat innings, again, an innings eater these days is six innings. So, you know, do with that what you will. But it's it's just it's going to be an interesting year. I don't think they'll be as bad as they were last year, but they're certainly not going to be. I just I think it's a great line, to be honest with you. I could see them being 83 and, you know, 70, whatever the number is, 78, 79. You'll take that. You'll take that. For sure. At least you would. I'm just very curious to see what the heck the game plan is because I, I don't with some of the moves that they're make I don't really know what the what the gist is what's the what's the goal long term I mean we have a lot of utility guys which is great yeah. I mean but but the Boston Red Sox aren't the Tampa Bay Rays they are there this year they're going to be they're going to be a rebuilding year they want to see what their kids have they're going to evaluate their kids and they're going to say which one's trade bait for some real players if next year we're really in the thick of things at the all-star break and which ones we want to keep I just, it, it all started with that extension for Chris Sale. It all started with that. I had to give it to him at the time. I thought, you didn't, you didn't think so. You were right. Well, I just, but, I, I mean, he's, 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 the weird thing is he's Pedro. And I, I, again, I apologize to anybody that doesn't like baseball, but it is what it is. The, he's like Pedro was until Pedro answered that question. Cause all those years, Pedro at the end of the season, his arm just, he was tired. He couldn't do it anymore. And you see Chris Sale, even, they just showed him playing catch the other day down there at Fort Myers. I mean, he might be 140 pounds soaking wet. So, I, you know. I, I, being out, yeah. Durability, eh, I, I don't know. I don't one know. Quick, one quick question before we go, and I haven't sure. had a chance to talk to you about this. How did it feel on Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> to watch Brady to Gronk Brady to Gronk, and yet no vested interest in it whatsoever. Really, just the was it pride that these are your guys? No, or was it wow. no, no? The embarrassing. The, the Brady thing, I didn't mind. I really didn't mind. It was mm. time. They, they needed. They needed to split up. They needed to go their own ways. He was not happy here. Another year of that of him sulking and all that stuff. And let's be honest too. That's my favorite part. All the people up here complaining about, oh, you know, we we could have had him for another two years. Well, I mean, the team isn't very good. So no. he would have, let's say, let's say he accounts for two to three wins. This year they were, what were they, six and ten, seven and nine, something yes. like that. Yeah. Great. So you're a you're a nine and seven, ten and six kind of team. The same team that got bounced in the first round by Tennessee two years ago. So I don't need to see him finish it just because he's wearing a different shirt doesn't make a difference to me. I think it's a silly uniform in Tampa, but that's neither here nor there. The thing that bothered me though was Gronkowski. Because yeah. he stopped playing, Later. because well, but he stopped playing because he said the concussions and all that kind of stuff were really the reason. And then the minute your buddy leaves, you're like, "Hey, I'm going to go with him." Listen, going to the WWE obviously snapped him out of those concussions, and uh, you know now he's now he's back to what he likes to do. Didn't he win a belt? And then like the next day, who doesn't win a belt? I think you and I could win a belt <laughs> if we went into the WWE. If, if the writer said we're going to win a belt, I, I think he did win a belt. Yes. Ilman, I'd like I, I'd like to do this again. Um, yeah, I would too. Hopefully, it's, it's nice to be out of racing purgatory. Hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. And, and again, you're the first sort of non-listener viewer guest, and in all likelihood, you will be the second non-listener viewer guest to come back on. So maybe as we get a little bit closer to the Derby, when we have a better idea of what the field actually looks like. How do you know like. I don't watch your show every week? I'm, I, you know, uh, you you might. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't hold it against you if you didn't, though. I'm not saying you would, but you don't know. I will, I will uh, um, tell, tell beer, beer. I said, I said hello. hello. Tell, tell the wife, wife I said hello. hello. Tell everybody. 
down, down there, there that I said hello. Dan, Dan Ullman from Daily, Daily Racing Forum. Forum. Thank, Thank you so, so much, much, buddy. buddy. Appreciate, appreciate the time. time. Uh, uh, look forward, forward to chatting, chatting again soon. soon. You are the best. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. Bye. Thank you to Dan Elman for giving us a little bit of time here this afternoon. Again, one of my favorite people, not just because he's one of my buddies, uh, but he is as knowledgeable as it gets when talking about... He, he is one of the more astute watchers of a race, in my opinion. He's, he's one of the, the, the folks who really got me to look for the minute details and things. And, and, and I think... He's just, I think he's got as good an opinion as there is out there, specifically when talking about horses, how they look, and what he thinks prospectively they could be down the road. So, um, again, just a wealth of information, and it helps when he's a good buddy of mine. So, uh, appreciate Ilman coming on. Hopefully, we have him on again in a few weeks' time. I realize I didn't, oh, and by the way, again, the Thursday feature this week. Thursday, not Friday, Thursday, Laurel's ninth. Answer beneath the video player on YouTube. Um, I realize I, I didn't update the uh, $500 challenge for this week. Uh, trust me, last week, nothing really good. A couple of in-the-money finishes, but nothing spectacular. Um, I will update that next week with another week under our belt. So uh, if you were curious, that's where that stands. I think the bankroll is somewhere just north of $200 at this point. So uh, we'll dive into that more in time. The good news is next Monday, we'll have... A fair bit to talk about. Actually, uh, Friday night, there's a prep race that awards points for the Derby happening at Turfway Park. Something to keep an eye on. I believe it's the Battaglia Memorial. And Saturday, we have the Fountain of Youth down at Gulfstream Park. And fingers crossed, we have everything happen at Oaklawn this weekend that we are supposed to. Um, the track, look, they've certainly got their work cut out for them. But uh, again, knock on wood, fingers crossed, everybody can can make everything work. And everybody does so in a safe and uh, in, in great manner. So looking forward to being able to recap those races next Monday. We'll get back to the normal Friday feature next week, but I uh, felt like this was a nice little departure that we had here this week. So uh, if you are listening in your app playing devices, whatever it may be, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, you name it, a million ways to find it. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you're over on YouTube. Search bar map or your show. You'll get this episode along with the 53 plier, uh, prior, excuse me, it's another one of those where you need to subscribe. Make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Until next week, this has been episode 54 of the Matt Bernier Show. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. <laughs>